0: Dear Father in heaven, we look forward to that day when thou wilt return, when, when the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, will return in glory. And dear Father, we know that He is able to do this. He is sitting at thy right hand now because of what He endured on the cross for us. What was accomplished for us two thousand years ago. Dear Father, our hearts are full with it. We pray that our lives would be full with it too, the power of thy resurrection, as we've been reminded this morning, as we ought to be reminded every moment, every day, how we live and why we live, because of Jesus Christ and because of what He's done. We pray that He that thy name and His name, which are one, would be lifted up this afternoon hour as we'd read from thy word just a little bit more. Dear Father, we pray for the needs of the many, those that are not here, those that are sick, those that are suffering. Be with them. Speak to them. That thy presence be felt through the Holy Spirit. We pray this in his name. Amen. We heard about the resurrection this morning. I'd like to go back a few days before that to one of the incidents that Jesus had and that prompted some reflection within himself, some teaching, and even an audible interaction with his Heavenly Father. That's in John 12, John chapter 12. That's starting at verse 20, verse 20 of John chapter 12. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came, therefore, to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered others said an angel spoke to him jesus answered and said this voice came not because of me but for your sakes now is the judgment of this world now shall the prince of this world be cast out and i if i be lifted up from the earth will draw all men unto me this he said signifying what death he should die The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou, The Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light these things spake jesus and departed and did hide himself from them but though he had done so many miracles before them yet they believed not on him that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled which he spake lord who hath believed our report and to whom hath the arm of the lord been revealed therefore they could not believe because that isaiah said again He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. These things spake Isaiah when he saw his glory, that is Christ's glory, and spake of him. I read to verse 41 of chapter 12. May God bless the reading of his word. This is a somewhat curious incident here in the final few days of Jesus' earthly life before the cross. And it was this, this reflection here and this interaction, this teaching with his disciples, then this audible voice from heaven, it all um, was started from this incident here. And back in verse 20, it says, certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast... I don't know exactly who these Greeks were. The scripture doesn't say. Maybe they were Greek converts to Judaism, proselytes, or maybe they were simply God-fearing Gentiles, as the the temple even had a court of the Gentiles where the the Gentiles could come by the law and worship. Or maybe they were just curious tourists. I don't know. So the, the Greeks were among them that came up to worship at the feast. So maybe they came for... For worship, maybe they were part of the large group to see what was happening. But by this time, they had heard of Jesus and had heard what he had done. And they were curious. They they wanted to know. We would see Jesus. They, They picked Philip, who was the only disciple of the 12 that had a Greek name. So maybe, I don't know, that was the logical connection there. Or maybe they knew him. I'm not sure. But notice... Jesus actually didn't grant their request. He didn't have an audience, as it were, with the Greeks. It was just this news, this this coming to Jesus of, of, of Philip and Andrew and saying, there's some Greeks that are interested to see you that prompted something from within Jesus. You know, many times previously, he had said, my time has not come. It is not yet time. And he knew the Father's time. He told beforehand, as we heard this morning, as, as uh, we've read in the past, he told the disciples clearly what was going to happen as he went up. And I'm sure he knew God's timing, and it was revealed. But this incident with the Greeks, these people, this, this international interest, as it were, in him, sparked a something in him, a... A realization, again, that this was God's affirmation. Your time has come. Jesus was going to answer the curiosity of these Greeks. He was going to answer it on the other side of the cross. He was going to answer it by the cross. He says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. That was the, really the answer to this, this, this request. You know, he came, first of all, is clear, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and they were going to finally reject him in those next few days. But he knew all along, it was clear, and scripture is clear too, the Old Testament is very clear that that this was God's means to save the whole world. This is why we're reading this word now here in Canada 2,000 years later with very uh, mixed multitude of people from all over. Jesus knew, that was his answer, he was gonna tell he was going to answer this curiosity of people to find out who this Jesus was. But Jesus took this moment, this interest, this international interest, as a, a, another affirmation from his father, this is your time, it's come now, it's coming to a head, the interest is building, everything is aligning, it's all coming. And he took this moment to reflect on what he was going to go through, on the path that was before him. We said it, I think, recently. It's been meditated many times before from this pulpit, but the cross, the physical shame and and, um, horror of the cross, is something we, it gets glossed over in, in today's day and age because of the symbology and because we know what it represents now but at those times it was despicable it was shameful that you would you would have such a death and have it on such a public display before everyone that could watch you uh, um, uh, be horribly uh, tortured to death basically for hours for days maybe but jesus did not focus on that he looked past that he looked past that And that is the real glory of the cross. The the cross in and of itself as some sort of symbol or, or divorced from what is on the other side of it, from what we heard this morning, it means nothing. It is only as we look at the cross and we see what is accomplished through it that we understand the real glory of it. And I think that is how we need to understand our crosses too. It is not the things that we are going through the difficult things in and of themselves that have redemptive value and you can say well it builds character etc cetera, etc cetera. it's only as you look through that experience and you see the glory that god has set before you through that experience as you endure that experience that the thing becomes valuable and it has worth and that's that's really what jesus meditates on this this passage after seeing my time has come then he says yes it has to go through has to go through difficulty and through death and through suffering look look at this i mean do you as you read these verses here, 24 25 26 do you have a kind of an uncomfortable he that loveth his life shall lose it and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal do you have a in the in the the depths of yourself maybe a little of a sinking oh i know what he's asking Christianity is, is too sacrificial. It's too difficult. What is the attraction in this? Just read the next verse in this sequence, 27, and, and listen to the voice, the human voice of Jesus Christ as he says, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? And he had these same feelings. He had these same seeing what was before him. It wasn't easy in any sense. He didn't, we know, it, John doesn't record uh, the, the, the passage in, in the, the Garden of Gethsemane, but he records this here. And it's the same thing, looking and struggling. Is it possible, is there another way, as we heard on Good Friday? It was not easy for him. And it's not easy, and it's not easy for you or I, either in that sense, until we look beyond it, just as Jesus did. As he looks beyond, he looks to God's glory. He says, Father, glorify thy name. You do your purpose in this work. And that's the first thing we need to do. When we feel the the cross that we're bearing, the thing that we're being asked to carry, when we feel it weighing down on us, the first thing is to look and say, Father, you glorify yourself through this. Glorify yourself. Glorify your name. and amazing i'm sure none of us have experienced that well maybe i'm not sure i don't know what your what your personal experience is but i definitely haven't heard an audible voice from heaven that says i have both answered right in the moment as he as jesus raised his 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 face and his his voice towards heaven he says father glorify your name there came a voice back from heaven that said i have both glorified it and will glorify it again and Jesus said, That wasn't for me, it was for you. Because Jesus knew that within the Spirit of the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Son, the Scripture also calls that was within, was the, the most important voice, not the audible voice, not the the, the the great and awe-inspiring thing, but the voice within that had prompted him, that led, that, that answered him already. As he, as he said, what shall I say? And then he turned to his father. He says, father, save me from this hour. No, for this cause came I unto this hour. That was already the voice of the son calling out and answering. And it's the same way with you and me. You know, an audible voice, um, something big and grand will not do it if you're not already listening to the quiet prompting of the holy spirit within the voice that you know the voice that says this is the right way though it's the difficult way that says this is painful but i know it's good and it's right and it's true and it's for god's glory So that's one thing that jesus looked at as he, as he looked at the cross, and he looked beyond the cross, he says he despised the shame in Hebrews 12. He, looked at, he saw his father's glory. His father was going to be glorified because he would never bend, because he would be triumphant by never giving in, by never giving in to fear, never backing down from it, being like a lamb led to the slaughter. He was glorifying God in that way. The second thing he saw through this, This glory of the cross was that Satan was going to be defeated. Now is the judgment of this world, verse 31. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. I want to be careful on this. I think in some ways we give Satan too much credit, and in some ways we don't give him credit enough. What I mean by that is we give him too much credit on this side of the cross. What Jesus did was to unseat him. Scripture in the New Testament still calls him the prince of the power of the air, but it is by this, the cross, the power of the cross, that Satan and all of the evil demonic hosts are unseated. This is the power. This is how he defeated uh, and cast down principalities and powers this is the means by which we have power too as we align ourselves so sometimes we would give him too much credit in the light of the cross we give in too easily we say well satan has too much power christian if you are believing and if you have identified with christ through his death and resurrection through baptism in him through belief in him don't give him that credit that too much power in the name of Christ, not in your own name, not in your own power, your own vaunted. You can say, you can refuse. You have the power. But the flip side is that sometimes we don't give him credit enough, is that he is still going, going about seeking whom he may devour. How? By deceit, by pulling you away from this cross, by pulling you away from the difficult thing, the things that's hard that that your flesh doesn't want to do. And That's his means his beachhead to to lure you back and we don't give him enough credit for that sometimes that he is the author the father of lies He is the author of it just as jesus is the author of our salvation The author of our faith the 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 the, the beginner and the finisher as Hebrews 12 says The lies that we believe satan has the start of those and whether we take them Or not is the question So that's what Jesus saw in this cross. This glory in this cross that not only was his father glorified, but he, Satan, was to be dethroned and and defeated through this. My brother and my sister, this could also be for you the cross that you carry. Is that Satan is put to shame as you carry this cross. As you do what he asks you to do, as you follow him in obedience. That's what he says here, right? If any man, if any man serve me, let him follow me. All of this is for us in in some sense. The other thing that Jesus looked through, looked past the cross, was that he looked past the cross at you and me. He saw you and me. Friend outside of Christ, he saw you, he sees you and he did it for you. He died for you. You've heard that phrase so many times, and it is so true. And until it sinks in, until you really realize, that yeah, this was for me, it won't make a difference. But once you realize that, oh, what fruit it can bear, Jesus saw that if I die, I will bring forth much fruit. If I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. And lest you think that that's kind of obscure wording, you know, lifted up. The people there, they understood clearly what he was talking about, his crucifixion. They said, how does this make sense? We've heard out of the law, out of the Old Testament, we've heard what the, what, what the Bible says, and it says Christ abides forever. He lives forever. What are you talking about? The Son of Man must be lifted up. Must die must be crucified basically the euphemism I think that's also a reflection on our own lives too many times we look at what is before us and what is laid before us and we say is there some easier way is it really true if Christians have eternal life here and now if we've been blessed why must I go through this this difficulty they don't understand, they don't see the glory of the cross, the glory of, of... All of these things are true. You know, the Christ does abide forever. All the Old Testament prophecies about an eternal reign and, and, a, and the, the, the son of David sitting on his throne forever, they're all true. They will be true in Jesus Christ until he comes is the last song that we sang. They will all be fulfilled and, and my brother and my sister, they, all the promises of God will be fulfilled, uh, eternal life, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more difficulty, no more sadness. But here and now, it does lead through that, doesn't it? The thing that you and I need to do is see the glory on the other side of it. Look through this and see the glory just as Christ did. there's a final little I think this was if I'm not wrong everything from this point chapter 13 is now just with the disciples the last supper those final hours those, those few moments at the end of chapter 12 at the end of, of we didn't read the, the whole the way through the chapter but that was the final Jesus said you have here's a little bit more time you have the light with you for a little bit more Right at the end, he said, "While ye have the light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light." That initial curiosity of the Greeks—who is this Jesus? We've heard some pretty crazy things about him. Some pretty stories about him healing people, even raising someone from the dead. News was getting out fast. They had a choice; those Greeks, you know, they didn't have that direct audience with Jesus there but they had a choice a few days later they were there for the passover they were going to stay for the whole thing this was done during the passover they had that opportunity or they could have just gone back to wherever they came from taken a ship back to whatever island or, or to, to um whatever country they're from and that would have been the end of what they heard the end of their opportunity to see the light to to be in the light and become a child of light and this was the these were the final words that jesus spoke at the end of this chapter to all. My prayer is even in this quiet afternoon hour, as we think about this, as we think about this on an Easter Sunday, about the cross, about what Jesus did, the empty tomb, my prayer is that that, this would not be the last time that you hear that, that this light is shone in your heart a little bit. You have an opportunity now to respond to it, to turn to it, to become a child of light. It won't always be that way. These commentaries, you know, John has a has a just a reflection at the end of this. He refers to Isaiah the prophet, two different passages, Isaiah fifty three and then Isaiah six. And he says, you know, even that, even that turning away, that's prophetic. If you choose not to believe if you choose not to turn to the light your heart will become hardened and you will not be able to believe you will not see the glory on the other side of the cross you will not see what jesus has accomplished for you what he's done for you that he has died for you and it will become dimmer and duller and quieter until eventually it will be the blackness and the darkness and the coldness of outer space of of an eternity away from his presence Turn to the light. Now we have a chance. Respond to it. Seek it. Let that curiosity or whatever it is or that tugging in your heart, let that be the start of something. So often, for so many, it started that way. Just with something little, a small seed. Follow it. Follow that light, and Jesus will reveal himself to you here and now. May God bless his word. I think my brother said in a sermon last week about um, those final weeks of the the final week or so of of Jesus' life that um, so much detail recorded and likely because they were traumatic events and there's a way that trauma has of imprinting on the memory that you just retain things. And that got me thinking a little bit about The the group we heard this morning that was in the locked upper room that was a traumatized group. That was a that was a, a group of, of, of a small group that was fearful, but they had also they were also traumatized by by the horrible death of their rabbi, their leader, that they'd seen. They knew that they were close behind, probably. The power of the cross, the glory of the cross to take that trauma and turn it into glory so that these, as we read this morning in Acts 4, and they could be so uh, joyful about what Christ had done at the cross. It became a, a, an object of glory and, and of praise, what Jesus had done. This was the means to defeat This is the means that God used to take all of the sins of mankind, all of the evil that we've experienced and seen in our lives, to take it and deal with it in one act, one thing. And this became what they held up. This is what they then died for, some in very horrible ways. That is the power of the cross, the glory of the cross. How about you and I? Next time, next time. It's going to happen, probably even today, tomorrow, whenever you go through something or you experience something, some of the taint and the damage of sin, the effects of it, either in your own body with, with sickness and illness or in those around you or in difficult, fractious relationships. How about you think about next time, Christ died for this. He died to deal with this. He died so that this as I submit to him, can become a thing of glory, a thing of praise and an honor. Even my illness, my trial, whatever it is, my financial difficulty, my, it can become a thing of glory. This is the power of the cross. It changes everything. And all because Jesus was willing to go through it. He is the one who earned our salvation. No one else did. He's the one that went step by step. You know, they say the anticipation of something is sometimes worse than the thing itself. Well, I don't know in this case what it was, but the anticipation of that thing was equally that path to the cross. That was a weighty, heavy cross, step by step, that Jesus took. He earned it in a sense that no one else could. That's why you and I need to look to him. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. With that, we conclude this service.